Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. How are you today? It's good. Good to see all of you. Hey, uh, we're in part three today of our series. It's taking us through the New Testament book of Luke, and uh, so excited this morning. This is one of my favorite passages. Um, I think you'll find out why as we dig into it. We're going to look this morning at a woman that was referred to as a sinful woman, and then we're going to look at a man that had a proud heart. And um, we're going to be able to see, and really even at the end of our service today, we're just going to create a little bit of space for us to be able to experience the posture of the heart that the woman had toward Jesus. And so we're going to create some space for you to be able to walk out of here with the same joy and the same even affirmation from the God who loves you this morning. So I'm excited for where we're headed this morning. First, I want to though mention just a couple of things. On your seats this morning when you came in, you had one of these, a 365 brochure. And um, I just want to encourage you uh, with this. If you're newer to Brookside, this is our quarter four uh, 365 reading plan. And you know, on Sunday mornings, we, one of the things that we love and one of our highest values as, as a church is that we open up God's Word and we get to pick a passage and then we go through a book of the Bible or a passage verse by verse and we just say, Lord, what do you have for us today? But after Sunday, we say as a church, we also value this, we want to have a whole bunch of self-feeders, people that go out on their own and say, you know what, the Lord will speak to me. And so this is our plan. This is how we want to direct you and encourage you to read God's Word. So pick a time, pick a place. And open yourself up and let the Lord speak to you. So take that home. I would encourage you to do that. You know, it's, it's just one of those disciplines that if you build that into your life, you'll look back and you'll go, the Lord has been shaping me. The Lord's been doing great things in my life. And I'm so glad I put that simple discipline uh, into my life. It'll bear so much fruit. Uh, secondly, I just want to mention uh, this to you. I want to pray together uh, with you this morning uh, for a lot of the different churches in our city. Uh, today, Thousands of volunteers from 30 plus churches are really uniting uh, and coming together and they're going to be serving our city. We've got over 100 uh, Brooksiders that are going to be down at one of our partners, the Open Door Mission, and we'll be serving down there today. It's really just a great example for our city even to see churches coming together and then us trying to be like Jesus and just serving our city. So with that, would you pray with me and, uh, and then we'll dive in this morning. So yeah, let's, let's pray together. Lord, we come to you in this place this morning, and uh, Father, we thank you first and foremost that you meet us here, Lord. We thank you that you are present, Lord. We pray that you are worshipped so well in this place this morning. Father, thank you that you understand the highs and the lows of a week. Thank you, Lord, that you meet every single person right where they are this morning. Uh, Father, we need you. We proclaim that. Lord, we look at the needs of our city Lord, we thank you that there's a sense of unity in our city. Lord, we pray for the other churches in our city. Lord, I think of a church that's really close in proximity to our church, King of Kings Church. Lord, we pray for Pastor Mark this morning. I think of a church on the other side of our city, my city church. I think of Pastor uh, Myron there. Lord, we pray for him at Mission Church. God, we ask that you would bless and keep him, that you would multiply his efforts. Um, Father, we just pray more than anything else, though. And Lord, we really beg you for this as your people. Lord, we pray that you would awaken in the city of Omaha and the surrounding area a sense that, God, you are alive and well. We pray, Lord, that the name of Jesus Christ would be made known in our city, Lord. And so, Lord, would you do something that's unprecedented? Would you do something that we've never seen in our city? Would you awake, awaken in the hearts of people a desire for you, a thirst for you? And so, Father, that's our prayer this morning. And Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that you would meet us in this place. Lord, we invite you into the deepest part of our soul this morning, and we simply invite you to speak. That's our prayer this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, let's get to work. Our series uh, this morning, again, it's in the book, book of Luke, and the, the series, the title of our series is called 
best news ever. And that's because it's centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this series is all about. And as I said this morning, you're going to see this story of this broken woman, and then you're going to see the story of this prideful man. But what I love about this story is what you're going to see, the heart behind this woman. The heart behind this woman and how she came to Jesus Christ. It's a model for us. It's, it's something for us to be able to say, okay, Lord, would you put my heart in that place because I want to receive from you the awesome things that she received from you. So let's stand together now. We'll read our text. I, asked my, I hired my, my daughter uh, this morning to, to help us read. So she's going to read our text to us this morning. We're in Luke chapter uh, 7, everybody, starting in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped him with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One of them owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus answered the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Awesome. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thanks, Ash. You know, in this text, you're going to see three main characters this morning. You're going to see Jesus Christ. You're going to see this Pharisee. His name is Simon. And then again, you're going to see this sinful woman. Now know this. The title that really would go over this sinful woman's name would be this prostitute. That's really what she was looked at in her culture. Um, some of the pictures that I think that we get to see as we go through the scriptures at times, and we see people coming to Christ, we pe see people interacting with Jesus, and as we see these different examples, sometimes I think we need to stand back and say, that's right. Whoa, I need to, I need to really look at that. I need to model that. I need to, I need to understand what's going behind the motive of that person. This is one of those texts this morning. Today you're going to see the posture of a person's heart. A little bit about this uh, cast of characters this morning. Jesus, think of him this way. In this context, he's really, he's a traveling rabbi. And so Jesus is going uh, from place to place. And, and in this particular city, he's invited over for dinner by this Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisees were religious leaders. The Pharisees carried themselves with a certain amount of pride, with a certain amount of arrogance. The, the Pharisees had a certain air about them. And, and they kind of went around uh, looking at different people thinking, I'm more disciplined than you. I know more than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm, I'm better than you. And the Pharisees opposed Jesus because Jesus claimed to have divine authority. Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of God, but he was talking about the kingdom of God as though he was the king. Now, we aren't sure why it is that this Pharisee, Simon, would even invite Jesus over to have dinner with him. 
Maybe he had heard Jesus speaking in another city. Maybe he had word, heard word about him speaking in, in Capernaum or Nazareth. And, and maybe he was just curious. Or maybe, maybe we can give him some credit. Maybe he had just a hint of, of, of a spiritual desire. Or maybe it was this. Maybe Simon just looked at Jesus as somebody that was getting a lot of news press. And he just wanted to have somebody important sit at his table so that, again, he could continue to inflate his own ego. One thing we know for sure. When Jesus entered this home, there was undoubtedly hostility in the air. It was undeniable. This whole interaction is coded in animosity. It became evident right when Jesus walked in the door, right as Jesus comes in. Have you ever noticed this? That in every culture, our culture, and even in, cult- in certain cultures within that culture, there are different ways that people greet each other. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, when Christine and I started dating and I would drive to her house and she, uh, she lived out in the country at the time. She was from a small town. And I remember I could be on a, a country highway and someone, if I would pass them, someone, they would wave at me as if they knew me. And I kept thinking to myself, I don't know you, but hello, thank you. You know, you're so polite. I don't understand this, but it's great. Think about how people greet each other. In my daughter's class, every day when the students come into the classroom, they have to line up. And before anything happens, the teacher makes them line up. He shakes their hands, and he just wants to look at them straight in the eye and just say, Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. That's how he starts their day with a greeting. Um, if you have two young men, think about how they greet each other in our culture. Sometimes they'll go up to each other. They'll give them fist, fist bump. Or, or sometimes this. Young men will do this. They'll nod their head up. Hey, what's up? Older men might do this. They might nod their head down, like in respect. Um, Two girls might do this. They might come up and just give each other a hug. Two teenage girls might ah, scream and then give each other a hug, right? But we, we greet each other, right, in, in, in different ways. Uh, I learned this when I, I had a motorcycle for a, a couple of years, and, and I love this about the motorcycle culture. Uh, motorcyclers, if, if they're on a motorcycle and they're headed this way and they pass somebody that's going this way, you know what they'll do? They drop their left hand, their hand hits the breeze, and it kind of fans their hand out like it's a wave. It's like this secret club greeting. I loved it. I just try, everybody I'd go by, like, here we go. And there they do it. I'm like, wow, I'm in the club, right? But we greet each other in certain ways. Know this in the first century Jewish culture, there were ways that you would greet someone, particularly if that person was going to come into your house. Three things, and Jesus actually talks about them right here in the text. Number one, there was the kiss of peace. If you were a guest and you came into my home and you were an honored guest, I would kiss your hand. If we were peers, I would just kiss you on the cheek. But it was a sign of, re- of respect. It was very common, normal behavior. Number two, the second thing that they would do is this. They would wash each other's feet. If you came into my home, I would have maybe a servant that would wash your feet or I would wash your feet. Or at a minimum, and this would actually be sort of an insult, I would at least give you something to wash your feet with. Number three, the third thing, if you came into my home in this first century Jewish culture, I would anoint your head with oil, a pinch of olive oil on your head, and it was just this, it was a very visual sign, it's actually pretty cool, a very visual sign, and what they were saying is this, while you're in my home, may the blessing of the Lord fall upon you. While you're here, might the blessing of the Lord be upon you. When Jesus entered this Pharisee's home, none of this happened. None of it. And this wasn't just a little bit of a hospitality misstep. This was calculated. Everyone there would have known that this was a clear sign of disrespect toward Jesus. It was a shot of uh, humiliation even toward Jesus. Simon's posture from from the go 
It's one of arrogance. It's one of pride. His posture was one of, I'm kind of an untouchable. So verse 36, let's dive into it. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, it says that he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now I want you to try to really get into this and really picture this. A house in those days, particularly with a person that had a, a, a large financial means, that house would have had a courtyard. And so picture three sides of three outer sides of the home and then a courtyard in the center. Now, one of the things we also know about this culture was this. That courtyard would be great for entertaining. You could have large dinners there. But also in this culture, it was very common for the outside community to be able to at least be able to see what was going on in the courtyard. Maybe they would walk by and they would stop and they'd go, ooh, we've got some, some high ups here today. We've got people we can learn from. We're just going to stand here for a while. People could also come and go very readily in this kind of a culture, in this kind of a setting. So that's what it's like. Courtyard. Picture it, open, meal, big time. Verse 37, it says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now know this, her presence would have drawn a gasp right away. People would have been like, really? She's here? She would have got that right away. And it says that as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair, and then she kissed them, and then she poured perfume on them. Have you ever seen something that's so shocking? You ever seen something that is just so shocking, you're just like, oh my word, I can't believe that's, that's what this would have been like. You've got a woman who clearly has a reputation in the city, but in spite of it, she knows who Jesus is. She knows who Jesus is, and so she doesn't care. She comes forward. She might even have been upset at the lack of honor that Jesus had been being paid thus far. It might have really bothered her. Regardless, though, she comes through the crowd, shocking behavior. She goes before him. She's filled with such emotion that she begins to cry. She's evidently very, very broken, but she's in the right place. Some of you, some of you feel that way when you come here. You go through maybe a hard week or you just know that life is heavy. Life's bringing a lot to you. And you come here and you just say, Lord, I need a touch from you today. Lord, I just need to be in your presence. I need to be with God's people. And Lord, I pray I need to be encouraged. Lord, would you, that's, that's I think, the posture in a sense that she's coming with. She's in the right place. She longs for a touch from Christ. The courage, though, that it must have taken. I mean, for any woman to have done this, it was a really big deal. But for a prostitute, it was even a much bigger deal. She risked a lot, but she felt so compelled. And imagine it. I mean, imagine you're standing in the crowd and she kind of makes her way up. There would have been people that started whispering. You know who she is, right? You saw her before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen her let her hair down before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They would have done that. It would have been so awkward, so hard, but yet she felt as though she needed to come forward. Let me ask you this question, because condemnation would have been all over this woman. Have you ever felt like you've gone too far? Have you ever felt like the grace of God is out of reach for you, or it's out of reach for your situation? If anyone could have felt that way, it would have been this woman. And so now imagine that her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. She has no towel, so she lets her hair down, which by the way, in that culture, if a woman let her hair down and she was a married woman, that was grounds for divorce by her husband. 
shouldn't do that publicly in that culture. It was a huge deal. And so now Jesus' feet are wet from her tears, and there's probably some dust on his feet because he's Jesus. It's not like he had hair conditioner just dripping off his feet, right? Right? He's Jesus, but he's still, he's, he's human. And so she's then, what does she have to wipe his feet with? Nothing but her hair. So she begins to do that. I mean, imagine how humbling this scene is. She brings everything that's raw to him. It's as though it's this huge statement. She's saying this, I am serving you. And then right there in the midst of it, as she's crying, she's wiping his feet with her hair. She breaks open the flask of perfume that she has, which would have been a top possession, particularly probably for her. The the Greek text says it like this, and then she covered his feet with her kisses. And this scene would have jolted everybody. Everybody. No one would have gone, oh, that's that's just what we do. People would have been shocked at this. But she loved Jesus so much. I think we have to ask the question, though, backing up just a few steps. Why all the tears? Well, what was going on in the heart of this woman? Maybe she felt shame. Maybe she was the kind of person that she looked at her life, and she was just so ashamed of her sin. She was so ashamed of her past, things that had been wronged, things that wrong that had been done to her, and then wrong that she had done. Maybe it was just filled her with shame. Maybe you feel like that even sometimes. You just, you're overwhelmed by shame. Some of you, you have a ghost in the closet. You have something in your life that you just go, oh, that's the thing. I just feel shame, shame, shame about that. Maybe that's why she was crying. Or maybe it was this. Maybe it's likely, actually, that she had already had conversation with Jesus. It's likely that she had already sat under his teaching. It's likely that she had already heard about the kingdom of God and that she could be a part of the kingdom of God, that she could have purpose and identity and everything else that goes with walking with Christ. And maybe she was crying because for the first time she realized my identity can come from something apart from these men. And maybe it just rocked her to the the core of who she was. Maybe she was overjoyed. In John chapter 8 it says this, it says that the truth will set you free. I wonder if she was finally walking in the truth of Jesus Christ. She sees him dishonored. She can't help but honor him. And she realizes the truth has set me free. I'm in a new place. I really don't care what you're whispering about. The truth of Jesus Christ has captivated my heart. Ask yourself this morning. This is a question for me as well. Does my heart sense the joy that the truth brings? Like, does my heart sense the joy? I mean, no matter what's going on in life, at the core of me is my heart overjoyed at my standing before God because of Jesus Christ. We learn so much from this woman. Her posture, one of humility, one of sincere passion. She's come to grips with how much she's been forgiven. You might jot this statement down. I believe a posture of humility leads to an expression of joyful worship. A posture of humility, that's her, leads to an expression of, of joyful worship. I, have you ever been caught up in worship? She's, she's caught up in worship here. Psalm 34 verse 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and it says that he saves those who are crushed in spirit. John chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, Simon. But God gives grace to the brokenhearted. God gives grace to the humble. You know, if you look through the Psalms, you see examples of this. Psalm 51 is one example. David is, he's just committed adultery against his wife Bathsheba. 
And he's going before the Lord, and he's desperate, and he's seeking God. And he makes a very telling statement, though. He says this. He says, Lord, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. And he could have brought it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. And then David says this in his humility. He says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. Lord, I can bring you a broken and a contrite heart. You, God, you will not despise that. Church, I just want to encourage us this morning. Don't let this morning go by without looking very carefully at the posture of this woman. What's the heart behind the posture? If you've ever had maybe a child come to you and, and they've said this to you, they said, hey, I messed up. I did this wrong. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? This is what happened. I'm in a mess. Would you help me get out of this? Think about how you respond to that kind of approach to you. You likely probably say, yes, I can help you. Yes, I forgive you. What do we need to do? But now contrast it to the fact that if you just get found out. You ever just get found out? That's not good, is it? No, that's not, that's not good at all. Your approach is very important. Notice the approach of this woman. Approaches are important. Think about all the relationships in your life. I was recently reminded of how important the approach, the approach is uh, when a person's trying to land the plane, land a like real plane. A few weeks ago, I was flying into the Dem Denver airport, and and I was there to learn from um, some other pastors and to meet with some other pastors. And as the plane approached Denver, the pilot gets on the intercom and he goes, hey, I'd like just to apologize. The last 20 minutes of this flight are going to be really rough. And he was right. It was like right when he said it, that whole thing just started just boom, boom, just all over the place. And I was kind of locked in. I was doing some work. And so I kind of had my head down and I didn't see it coming at all. But when we hit that runway, it was like, doom, doom, and then all of a sudden, boom, and it was loud. It scared me. I looked the window like, huh, you know, and here's the thing. When those pilots, when they were thinking about that landing, when they were working on making that landing as good as they possibly can, I can guarantee you this, they approached it with a lot of seriousness. They knew, you know what, gravity is a real thing. And I'm in a plane, with, and that's a lot of weight, and we're going pretty fast, and we're going to hit the earth really quick. They took that very seriously. This woman is filled with humility because she knows the extent of what she's been forgiven. This woman is approaching Jesus very seriously and with such brokenheartedness because she knows the amount that she has been forgiven. Does our being forgiven move us, church? Does it move us? Do you ever have a moment, and I think the longer that you walk with Jesus, the more we need to hear a message like this. I know I do. Because I can be a lot like Simon. I can just kind of get calloused. But this woman is raw because she's, she knows the freshness of, Jesus, you've forgiven me. I can walk with you. Verse 39, notice the response of Jesus. All of his holiness and all of his perfection. We can't miss this. Jesus Christ is for sinners. Do you feel like a sinner here today? You're in a good place. Jesus is for the humble of heart. Verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he, this is Simon, said to himself, so picture this, said, he says this to himself, so he's just whispering this to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. The heart of Simon is the exact opposite of the heart of the sinful woman. He has a heart of stone. Simon's thinking this, I'm good, I'm above sin, I'm good on my own. I've actually got a copy of my resume in my back pocket just in case you want to see it. 
You want to read about me? I'm okay. And then he says this statement. Well, if Jesus actually, if you were a prophet, you would know who she is. In other words, Jesus, if you knew she was, you'd ridicule her as a sinner like I am in my own heart and mind right now instead of letting her touch your feet. That's Simon's posture. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. He knows the thoughts of Simon. Tell me, teacher, Simon said. Verse 40 then, he tells him the story. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. In this culture now, know this. If you owed a debt, you were not thought well of. If you were a loan shark, you were also not thought well of. So this is a powerful illustration. He says one one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii was worth about one day's wages. So one person owes 500 days wages, the other 50. Neither of them, verse 42, uh, neither of them had the money to pay him back. That's what they had in common. They both owed a debt that they could not pay. And so he says that he forgave them, the de- he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them, Simon, will love him more? Notice the parallel here. Jesus is talking to Simon about money, but Simon would have known what he was talking about. This isn't rocket science here. Jesus is drawing a parallel. He's talking about money, but he's really comparing sin. And so in the mind of Simon, Simon, let's give him some credit here, he might have thought to himself, okay, I get, I get where we're going here, Jesus. This woman clearly is a 500-day wage-level sinner. That's who she is. Maybe I'm a 50. Okay, I'm a 50. I'm not perfect, Jesus. You're right, I'm not perfect. But I'm not like her. But notice the point. Both owed a debt that neither one of them could pay. Neither one of them could pay. It would be a mistake, church, for any of us to look at the grace of God and for us to say that it's for big-time sinners. It would be an absolute mistake for any one of us to look in the mirror and to think, you know what, the grace of God is for them. The grace of God is for her. The grace of God is for him. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, is very clear. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every person in all humanity. We are all as desperate as this woman. Every single one of us. We are as desperate as this woman. And there should be something in our heart that when we realize the great magnitude of the sin that we've been forgiven, that our heart comes to life and we see what God invites us into. And it does something in us. I'm personally convicted by the posture of Simon because I can see myself in him. But notice this woman, her overwhelming worship of Jesus, it is right. A posture of humility leads to an expression of worship. Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose, Lord, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, that's the one that will love you more or will love more. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then, notice this, don't miss this in the text, everybody. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, notice this. I mean, think about this. The table's really low. Jesus is reclining. He's reclining on his left. You would eat with your right. He looks behind him at the woman. So he would have had to have sat up. He looks at the woman, but who's he talking to? He's talking to Simon. So imagine that scene, very powerful. But what is, it's important here is to know this is what he says next. He says this as he's looking at the woman to Simon. Simon, 
do you see this woman? And what he wasn't saying was, Simon, do you see the woman behind me? I know you can see her physically. But Simon, do you see the woman like I see the woman? Simon, do you see past her brokenness? Simon, can you see past her, her abuse? Simon, can you see past the things that mark her past and gave her her title? Simon, can you? Because I see a soul. Simon, I see she's a daughter. Simon, I see a woman that I long to welcome in because she came with humility. Yet, Simon, your heart is so hard. Your heart is so prideful. With Jesus here, there's no judgment, no condemnation, only love and grace. He's looking at this woman as a woman that is not to be desired as an object, but as a chosen, treasured child of God. Simon, do you see this woman? Don't miss this, church. When God sees you, when he sees you, and he does, he doesn't see what marks you. He sees how he made you. He sees what he calls you. He sees what he has for you. And then it says this, Simon, Jesus says, I came to your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. Verse 45, <clears throat> you did not give me a kiss, Simon, but this woman, from the time I entered, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to, to say among themselves, who is this? Like, who is this man that even forgives sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. You go in peace. She showed such love because she knew she had been forgiven so much. And here's the thing, and isn't this true, church? You'll know that you've been forgiven if you love much. And the posture of your heart is so telling. You know, you might notice something, though, about this story that I think is really important. Jesus doesn't just love this woman. Jesus loves Simon. Don't miss that in the story. This woman did not need the example of the denarii. She didn't need that. That's all for Simon. Jesus loves self-righteous Simon. This guy by the name of G. Campbell Morgan, he put it this way. He said, our Lord's love for the woman did not exceed his love for Simon. He was on his way to the cross for them both. You might be here today and you'd say, I'm an, I am an incredibly moral person. Maybe your family, maybe your neighbors, maybe those that are close to you, your friends would speak so highly of you. You have a strong character. You work hard. You seek to please God with your one and only life. Or maybe you'd say the opposite. Maybe you come here this morning and you'd say this, not so much for me. I'm a little rough around the edges. My words get me into trouble from time to time. I'm not beyond an addiction or, or, or two. I've got some past sins that I really wouldn't want you to know about. Know this, though. The big sin in the room that day with Jesus was the proud heart of Simon. Because Simon's eyes, they were too hard to see the woman. Simon's knees, they were too proud to get down and kneel and wash the feet of Jesus Christ. 
Simon was a guy that you could say of him, his hands, they were all, they were just too clean to serve. And it's for sure that his heart was too hard to love, yet this woman knew that she was broken. And what did her awareness of her sin do? It didn't push her away from Christ. Your awareness of your wrong in your life should not push you away from Jesus. But look at this woman. It drew her towards him because she knew he has something that I desperately need. And so I will worship him. Brookside, know this. When Jesus Christ looks at you and I and those who follow him in faith, he says like he invites this woman. And honestly, this is my favorite thing to think about with this story. I have to think about what was it like for Jesus? Like what was going through his mind when he saw her working her way through the crowd over to him? What was he thinking? I have to think that he was thinking, yes, here she comes. Yes, I'm going to get to teach Simon today. Not like I'm going to get to shove truth down Simon's throat, but no, Simon might just get wooed into the faith today because he understands the truth. John 8, the truth will set you free. Simon might just have a, an aha moment today where he sees a broken heart and he goes, you know what, that's right, and I need to do that, and I need to cling to that, and I need to approach Jesus Christ in that way. Jesus longed for Simon to be broken. That's the image that I can't get out of my head. What was Jesus thinking? But then also, just that picture of this woman. You know, she made her way to Jesus Christ so humbly. And her humility was because she knew, I'm going to worship Jesus because I've been forgiven much and so I love much. And this morning what we want to do is this. This morning we want to give you an opportunity just to have some space this morning, to be able to come and to be able to say, okay, maybe I have a proud heart this morning or maybe I have a broken heart this morning. Because if you have a broken heart, God would love to meet you in your brokenness and bring you healing. And if you have a prideful heart, the Lord would love to break you of your pride so that you can experience his grace and his healing. One pastor put it like this. He said, your capacity to love is directly related to your capacity to know and understand how much you've been forgiven. And when we get in touch with our brokenness, we get in touch with God's grace and it frees us to love much. Do you love much? Do you want to have a great impact with your life? It starts with letting the truth of the gospel wreck you like it wrecked this woman. And so let me ask you this morning, who do you see yourself more in? Do you see yourself more in this woman that's broken and needs grace, a touch from God? Or do you see yourself more as you'd say, you know what, I'm a prideful person, and I actually need God to break my heart. I'm a prideful husband. I'm a prideful business owner. I'm a prideful father. That's how I am. Let God break you this morning. You know, when this woman got up from the table, I love this. It says that she walked through the crowd and she walked cleansed by the only one who could cleanse her, right? And it says that Jesus said to her, you go in peace. Your faith has saved you. She walked away and she knew I'm loved by God. I'm a chosen treasure of God. God came for a reason. He came in the person of Jesus Christ. And now I'm a broken person. And now I don't need to be broken anymore. I can find hope and healing in him. What an image. 
And so this morning what we want to do is this. We're going to take communion together. And, um, you know, Jesus gave us this incredible thing called communion. And he said, hey, I want you to take communion, take the bread and the cup. And I want you to do it, he said, in remembrance of me. And so every time we take communion together, basically what we're saying is this. We're re-proclaiming the best news ever. We're re-proclaiming Jesus Christ you came and you died and your body was broken and your blood was shed so that I might know you, so that I might have life in you. That's the best news ever. That's why we take communion. That's why Jesus said, hey, keep doing this. This is a practice of the church. Keep doing this because I always want you to remember that's the gospel. And so this morning, would you come? We're going to give you the ability just to come, maybe come down the center aisles, kind of walk out that way. And you can take communion on your own this morning. Just grab one of these uh, cups, grab down, grab, make sure you grab, they're stacked on top of each other. And then go back to your seat and just take some time this morning. And think of this woman. Think of what it was like for her to approach Jesus Christ. I will say this to you. Some of you, before you take communion, you might need to have a conversation with the person next to you. You might need to say, I'm sorry. Get right with the people maybe around you if you need to. Or maybe you'll need to leave here this morning. Go out in the hall, make a phone call, and say, you know what? I've been prideful. I've been belligerent. I've not been who I should be. And so I need to do business with you right now before I go in there and have this moment with my Savior where I realize afresh, Jesus, I'm forgiven in you. And so do whatever you need to do. We want to give you space um, to do that this morning, but let's come, and let's come in humility, and let's embrace the heart of this woman. Again, if you're a follower of Christ, and you've been a follower of Christ for a while, like I have, I need these moments. I need these fresh moments where I'm reminded, okay, regardless of everything else going on in life, I'm forgiven much, and so I can love much, and so let's be that kind of church this morning. So Rob and Ben are going to come out and They'll kind of play over us, and so go ahead and just take some time on your own. Have conversation with the Lord. Do whatever you need to do to prepare your heart, and then come grab the elements, bring them back to your chair, take them on your own, and then we'll close in some worship together, okay?